but I wasn't controlling my shot. And that's when I realized it was the decisions that I was making and when I was making them in my shot and what they were doing for me. Yeah. So those 13 years were just trying to do good, right? Trying to kill a bull. For God's sakes, I was a two-time world elk calling champion. I could call these things in like a chicken on a string, but I couldn't hit them because I just... (laughs) So, you know, what advice would I give to myself would be to buckle down, man get determined, make decisions, and then and only then can you step onto the path of shot control. Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. Check it out. Link in the show notes. All righty, Mr. Joel Turner, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, bro. Uh, you ready for elk season yet? Because I, uh, between like coronavirus BS and everything else, I'm I'm getting ready. I'm I'm definitely yeah. ready. <laughs> it's just really up in the air with what we got going on this year, as far as they've got a big goat removal program going in the in the Olympias. Yeah, so I don't know, if, and we don't know when we get chosen for that. So I'm. Uh, if we get chosen for that that's gonna be right smack dab in the middle of the washington elk season so yeah that's a crazy thing that i like i don't know somebody else asked me how i feel about that and i'm i'm on both sides like i think it's really screwed up the way that it's going down but it's been in the process for years and i'm not saying that's that makes it right and you know and so like a party is like man it's a cool opportunity to at least go on a goat hunt that i may probably will never draw uh but at the same time you're like man the whole concept is so screwed up yeah it's i don't don't get me started with national (laughs) and wildlife management but (laughs) yeah exactly uh so that i mean that'd still be cool um if you're doing that during during elk season it'd be cool but i don't know i've never seen a six by six mountain goat (laughs) never seen a bugle either yeah, and they don't bugle, so I don't get too jazzed up about it. But uh, we may be going to Oregon before that. Uh, so Oregon and Washington are the states that we're probably going to be hunting this year. So Yeah. Uh, do you hunt Oregon every year? I have the last few years, but um, I just – I really like hunting the coast. Mm-hmm. I like hunting rosies on the coast, so – well, I get this question quite a bit and I, and there's a lot of Washington listeners and, mm-hmm. you know, they asked me the difference. If it, is it worth hunting in Oregon or is it the same thing? Like I've, I've been up in Washington and mm-hmm. scouted. I have never, I've never held an archery tag. I used to like, I, tw- twice I scouted a muzzleloader hunt up there and I was like, okay, if I can find a bull, I would buy a tag and then never did. Um, yeah. so in your opinion, having hunted both states, like what's the major difference between Oregon and Washington and why should somebody hunt one or the other? Oregon seems to be better for me just for access because, you know, you've got, you've got a lot 
bigger number of elk in Oregon than you do in Washington. And, you know, there's private timber companies in Washington as well, but the access is a bit more difficult and you have to go so far in where the habitat in Oregon seems to be, I mean, they might be a mile from the gate, you know, so it just seems to be bigger elk numbers. The bulls seem to be much bigger in Washington as far as Roosevelt's go. But, uh, yeah, Oregon's just a lot more opportunity, it seems like. So, I mean, you get on your mountain bike and go, and I think you'll have more success in Oregon than Washington. Yeah, one of one of my listeners was, we had a bunch, he had some questions, he emailed me, and, you know, he's struggling with these concepts, uh, concepts of elk hunting, and I talk about getting at-bats, like it's really important to get at-bats, and I was like, yeah. man if there's any way to hunt another state other than Washington, like that's, that's a great way to get more at bats. Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I always hunt another state other than Washington. Yeah. Just very difficult here. And, but I've been, I was trying for 14 years to get the tag that I got last year. So what's you got, you drew uh like a blues mountain tag. No, it was a Western Washington tag up in the, really? the how'd that go? It was awesome. Did you see that bull that I killed up I, there? I don't know if I saw it. Oh, I'll have to send you a pick. <laughs> it's a good, it was a, a six by seven that scored 322. Jesus. But just the mass of those bulls up there is yeah. off. It's really cool. Like I have, man, you know, growing up in Roosevelt country, I have like, that's one of my bucket lists is like a 320 plus Roosevelt. The true Roosevelt right. is like, oh, that's, that's up there. You know, I'm to me is like killing a 380 Rocky. Yeah. I'm going to send you a pick right now. Stand by on your phone here. Let me see what I can find. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, this is this is the bull of a lifetime for me. So it was pretty special experience. I called him into ten yards and shot him with my recurve. So. <laughs> So one of the things we're going to talk about today is like keeping your composure, keeping your cool, making good, your well-placed shots and also timing your shots and all that. Uh, Joel is like an expert in that. So like uh, one of the things we're going to dive into, but like it'll fall back into like, oh yeah. Oh, I did see this picture. Yeah. That thing's a hog. Dude, the front's on that thing. (laughs) That's what I saw come around corner first i'm like oh i didn't even know what he had on top i just saw the fronts went holy smoke yeah that thing is a beat. yeah i remember seeing that picture now dude that yeah. thing's like that's i don't know something about roosevelt's those dark horns like just jungle bulls yeah and man those i mean for the, for the for the books that would be considered a cascade roosevelt but i mean it was only just on the other side of i-5 so well given the eight foot ferns it looks a lot like a true uh, it, was a, it was a jungle in there but man it was so cool but it's uh yeah so let's chat about shot placement and all that stuff man yeah so yeah i mean i think this you know we can talk about calling elk and whatnot and that's very important but i think in my opinion, most people's mistakes happen in the last, you know, they call it the red zone. Like in football, it's like that last 30 yards or whatever. Uh, and so much just could be said about that during elk hunting too. It's like knowing when to draw, knowing when you should take a shot, when you need to force a shot. And I say force a shot is like make a shot that's like not perfect. When do you wait? Like so many times if you wait that extra second, he'll stop and give you one more shot. Um, how do you think about that? Well, you know, I'm hunting with a with a recurve or a longbow usually, mm-hmm. so the drawing is 
hugely more critical for me. But for the compound folks, you know, being able to hold for a long time is a is a big deal. And then being able to go into your shot sequence after that and after a stop sound, if you're going to use a stop sound mm-hmm. and, and having to play all those scenarios as the bull's coming in, you know, that mind starts to race. You get that that location bugle and he bugles back and you're like, oh, my gosh, I finally found one. And then, you know, the next calling sequence that you do, holy mackerel, now he's closer to you, so he's definitely coming. And then you see those black legs coming. And you see the black legs coming, and now the mind starts racing, and it's usually not on your shot process. It's usually on just the fact of getting a shot. And that's, like you said, where a lot of people fall apart because they're not putting their mind where it needs to be. You have no control over the bull yeah. other than a stop sound, right? You only have control over yourself. So knowing when to draw and when that bull's coming in, it really depends on how you called the bull in. Because if you – and we'll talk about calf sounds versus cow sounds. I don't make cow sounds anymore at all i haven't made a mature cow sound in the elk woods in the last two years that's interesting and i i never will again really and what's your thought behind that so i just i've changed from cow sounds to calf sounds because if a bull's coming in i mean bulls are pedophiles right so (laughs) if bull's gonna come into a to a cow sound he will certainly maybe even more readily come into a calf sound but no matter how you run that system as far as, you know, if you figure this bull's by himself as a satellite bull or whatever, and you do a lost calf sequence and he starts coming in, the fact of the matter is if you calf call or cow call a bull in, he's going to stop 100% of the time as soon as he can see the calling location. Yeah. It's the hang-up scenario, right? Yep. So if you're doing it correctly, you've made your sounds and you've either placed your shooter out out beyond the hang-up spot or you have as a solo caller you have made your sounds and then you've moved past your hang-up spot because i mean it it, the bull's gonna stop as soon as he can see the calling location so before you start making elk sounds identify where those hang-up spots are what is the next rise or whatever that when he comes over that he's going to be able to see that calling location he's going to stop his radar is going to go on after that, if he does move past that hang-up spot, he's going to be doing a wind arc. He's going to be trying to, to wind you. They don't try to wind you before the hang-up spot. And that's the beautiful thing about that, right? So yeah. so getting that those hang-up spots identified, do your sounds, move to your location. So let's say that you do it properly. You do your calf sounds. You identify the, the hang-up spots. You move past it. And now you've got a bull that's coming to a hang-up spot. Bulls that are moving to a hang-up spot are very unsuspicious. They don't they, – their radar is not on until they get to that hang-up spot. So knowing when to draw on that bull because he's not really suspicious. He's not even looking yet because he knows where he needs to get to to be able to see that cow or calf, right? Yeah. So knowing when to draw in that situation, just draw when is – you know, there's no rush to it but make sure he can't see you. So that head's got to be behind that tree, but he's going to be constantly moving. He's got no reason to stop. 
when he's in route to the hang-up spot. He's going to stop at the hang-up spot. Yeah, and which is, right. you know, anywhere from 70 to 150, depending on how open terrain is, like you said. Yeah, it, it just depends. Wherever he can see that location. So in drawing the bow back, you know, get it done depending on what your let off is on your compound, you know, and how long you can hold that thing. Don't draw too early. We had that mistake happen last year when we were hunting this special unit. My buddy drew too early and had this, I've got a sequence on video of him missing a big six by eight because he was holding his bow too long. Uh. <laughs> I eventually pulled the bull into 25 yards, quartered away perfectly. And he, he just, it was fatigued. Right. Yeah. So, and this guy is like Iceman, so it wasn't a shot control issue; it was just a fatigue issue. Oh man, so, that's frustrating. Yeah, so being careful, you know, if you draw and he stops, he's he's gonna stop with his lungs behind something. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a given. They know <laughs> what their lungs are right. So, um, but it, you know, all in all, just knowing when to draw is a huge, huge thing. But then after you get the full draw and knowing the shot is imminent, that is, that's when people fall apart. When, when do you decide when to use a stop sequence, you know, whether it's a calf call or whatever, uh, and when to kind of let the situation play out? So I won't stop a bull and let, you know, if he's, if he's beyond, if he's like 10 yards and in, I'm not going to stop him. I'm going to shoot him in the move. If he's farther than that with my stick bow, I'm not going to chance that. You know, people can people can extend that range with their compound or whatever, but it's whatever you feel comfortable with as far as taking a moving shot. Because yeah. you know, when elk's moving slowly, they're really not going very fast. So, um, you know, when do you that that would be my criteria? They'd have to be pretty close for me not to stop them. To not stop them, right? So, so when you so you pretty much if it's uh, I'm just gonna say I don't know your maximum effective range let's just say ten to fifty yards uh, mm-hmm. you're stopping that bull when yeah. you think you have the moment like okay here's where I can draw and shoot uh, yep. so I'm gonna run through my basically start my sequence mm-hmm. yeah so I'm gonna I'm, I'm definitely gonna stop him if he's out if he's twenty yards you know with my stick bow and that may be different for everybody with their compounds mm-hmm. but. And uh, you know, it's funny cause like, uh, I've had to stop a lot of bulls and you know, you get to like, you try to time it cause you know, they're going to take like one more step. <laughs> so it's always like trying to time it. Like I hit it now, he'll stop there right. and, and, and then I'll have the shot, which, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But well, I, I, uh, I changed how I stopped bulls a couple years ago when I, I listened to Paul metal yeah. elk, and he always said to, you know, bark at him or whatever. And that's what I've done in the past, boy, several years. I I bark. I give them the yo, right? And I don't do it with a call, so I'm not messing with a call in my mouth. I know exactly where I need to stop that bull. And if you give them the yo, just like a bark, yo, right? It really sharp. Hit them with that, and they don't take another step. They they stop very abruptly. Yep. And that seems to work extremely well. So. That's one thing. Before I get into the shot sequence, the other call-in that is more common for me is using the bull call and cow's bugle. So, Yeah, talk that, about that a little. I've heard you talk about this. I'm kind of curious. To kind of just elaborate a little bit more on it. Well, I mean, if, if I gave you, if I said, Cody, we're going to the bar and I'm taking 
you need to get in a fight with another male in 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you would think about how you would do that. And if you need to increase your odds, you wouldn't go in there and challenge a dude because then you're dealing with his attitude, right? You go in there and you sucker punch some dude and he may just fall on the floor and and crawl away, right? Yeah. He may fight you or whatever. But if I told you, you can't physically touch anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to get in a fight in 30 seconds. It'd be super easy when you know the science, right? Just go in and talk to the first female that's definitely with a male. (laughs) Yeah. That eliminates the option for that male. If he wants to stay with that female, he has to remove you from the area. So that's all you're doing with the bull calling cow's bugle. It's short. It's raspy. It's no chuckles. Chuckles are a bull-to-bull communication, and I never talk to the bull that I'm targeting. I'm never talking to him. I'm either talking to his ladies or I'm talking to my own ladies. But I'm never talking directly to him. So therefore, no chuckles. Because if I chuckle, I'm talking to him and I'm challenging him and I'm, it depends on his attitude. There's no reason to do that in my mind as far as trying to get a bull to actually come in and fight me. I'm just talking to his ladies. So that would be the scenario where I find the herd. I try to get within 100 yards of one of the cows, not the whole Marianne of them, just one of them. I see one straggle off to the side of the herd or whatever, that's the one I'm going to move in on. And then I get set, get ready, arrows knocked, and hit him with the bull calling cow's bugle. Again, short, raspy, the key is no chuckles. You hit him with that, and you just talk to those cows, and he's now coming out to kill you. And it happens like clockwork as far as how he responds, how he comes in, the rate at which he comes in, the distance he will move, all those things have been a constant to for 46 herd bulls now in the last six years. Wow. So when that bull is moving in, he's hunting you. So it's a different scenario. You're trying to kill the calf called bull in before he gets to the hang-up spot. So he's completely unknowing, radar's down, Nothing's happening, right? He's just moving to the location where he can see. The bull that's that's called in with a bull calling cow's bugle is coming to kill you. So they're very hyped up. The rage is high in them, right? So their head will be up, and they'll be moving. When they walk, they'll walk very slowly and display the whole way. They'll even move their head side to side like a bull moose. Really? So – they're coming in and it doesn't matter if it's across a completely open field or whatever. There's no hang up spot. There's absolutely no hang up spot when you call a bull in this way. So, so how does, how does scenario play out on your big three twenty bull? So it was, it was classic. Um, so I had to find the bull. He was in this impenetrable hillside that had an old road system in it that the only way you could get to it was you had to cross a river. So Seth and I crossed the river because nobody goes in there because you have to cross the river basically. So we cross the river, we get up in there and I'm trying to locate him and <clears throat> I don't want to bugle to locate him. I want to do calf calls to locate him just because that's a totally neutral sound and it pulls reactions out of elk, right? If you go in there and you do mature cow sounds, then you've got every cow in that herd on high alert. 
right? You go in there and you do calf sounds, every cow is going to want to call back to you and the bull will do the bull calling cow's bugle to you. So it pulls reactions. So I'm moving through this jungle. I was going to say, what's the distance that that, I mean, the, obviously the downside of that is that, you know, a bugle carries a lot farther. So what do you, what do you feel like the, uh, the operating distance with a calf call is? Uh, my calf sounds are, I do them as loud as humanly possible. Yeah. So it's got a pretty good range to the point where I'm moving through this jungle, big timber, big ferns, all the stuff. And I'm calf calling my way. I know the bull is on this hillside somewhere. He's been there for days bugling with another bull. So I'm moving, moving, moving every, you know, every few hundred yards, I'll lay out a lost calf sequence as loud as I can. And we're not hitting anything yet, but so we just need to keep moving because I truly believe that if an elk does not react to that sound, they can't hear me yet. I'm that confident in that calf sequence and I can send you that as well. Yeah. But so I do the calf sequence, we keep going and finally get to a point where the other bull bugles to it. He does a bull calling cows bugle. And that gets what we call the growler because that's what he was named by the people that hunt around there. <laughs> they That got him to bugle because these bulls are buddies. They've been bugling the whole season back and forth. So we the, the growler locates one time to that other bull. Now I know where he's at. I move in closer. I need to relocate him. So I do calf sounds again. That gets all of his cows fired up. So now they're all mewing back to me. That gets the growler fired up. So we know where he's at now. He's in this giant horseshoe, brushy, clear-cut, jack furs, nasty, impenetrable stuff. It's in the shape of a horseshoe, but in the middle of the horseshoe is a cedar grove. It's a leaf strip in a creek. Oh, yeah. Big cedars. And those elk have been living in there so much that it was literally bare dirt. Oh, wow. These cedars. So Seth and I are moving in on this bull in bare dirt. And we're looking at each other and just giggling <laughs> because we know <laughs> how this is going to go down. So our goal now is to get close enough to one of the cows to do the bull calling cow's bugle. So we get up almost to the top of the horseshoe. We get set. I look at Seth. We've done this. Him, him and I have done this so many times. I look at him. I said, you ready? He goes, yep, I'm ready. He's like 10 feet from me. And we're just standing in the wide open in these cedars. And I, I do the bull calling cow bugle. And... The next thing that happened was absolute chaos. So I don't see the bull coming because there's a giant down tree in front of me with a big rootwad on it. I don't see the bull coming, but all I see is elk hind ends going left and right in the jackfurs. I'm just catching glimpses of them. The bull didn't bugle, but it was because we were so close to him. I mean, he, we were 50 yards from him when we did this. Oh, wow. But of course, we couldn't see anything. Yeah. So. All, chaos is happening in the jack furs, and I look at Seth, and he draws his bow back. I'm like, and the day before is when he missed that six by eight. So I'm like, okay, dude, did you not learn your lesson yesterday? <laughs> Why are you <laughs> your bow back so early? And I look over him, he draws his bow back, and I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, what are you doing? And I look forward again, and that's when that thing came around that root wad, because Seth could see him coming, and I couldn't. He comes around the the rootwad <clears throat> at thirty yards, and all I see is those fronts. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And of course, with my 
recurve. I've got to wait for the draw because I can't hold that thing. And he's walking right at us. Like he's going to walk right between us. We're only 10 feet apart. (laughs) And this bull is doing the same rate of movement that all 45 others have. It's a slow displaying walk when they come in. And this thing is walking directly at us. I know Seth's at full draw and I'm telling Seth, I'm like, just shoot him. And I'm saying this out loud, just shoot him because I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. And I know Seth's already at full draw. I'm not yet. This thing gets to 10 yards and just sticks his antler. He obviously sees us, but he is so enraged that we got in close to his cows and would talk to his cows in that inappropriate manner (laughs) that he sticks his antlers in the ground and just starts throwing stuff all over the place. And I'm still talking to Seth, just shoot him, right? I said, shoot him if you got a shot. And I'm saying this out loud, but this bull is mesmerized. So all of a sudden, I remember the things that I teach in these moments of truth, I guess. And I always tell people that when elk rub trees, they close their eyes. And that's been usually the case. And I'm looking at this bull trying to get my bow to full draw. And I look at his face, and his eyes are closed. I mean, he's only 10 yards from me, and he's he's facing me, and then he would flop his body sideways to broadside, and then he'd flop back facing me, and then broadside, and he's just dancing. He's throwing stuff all over the place. And that's when I realized that his eyes were closed, so I, I quickly drew my recurve back, and just as I did that, he flops his body perfectly broadside at 10 yards, I'm looking down the shaft of that arrow at that spot of a bull of my lifetime. This is a bull I've been after for my whole life, right? And I'm looking down that shaft, and there is one stick that I have never seen before in this whole sequence until I look down the shaft of my arrow. I'm looking at one stick that's curved, and it perfectly follows the curve of his shoulder, of behind his shoulder. So I'm thinking, I can guarantee you that I'm going to hit that stick, right? So I actually leaned back slightly and that moved the profile of the stick to the front of his shoulder. And everything in my being was telling me to just let the arrow go. You're going to kill it. It's 10 yards, right? Just let the arrow go. But then my shot IQ kicked in. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it like that. And that's when I got into my process and I made my decisions and I talked myself through that shot. And when that, when that arrow released, it went through that bull in the 11 ring. I mean, in the spot I'm looking at, it goes through him. And just as that arrow goes through him, set the bull whirls and Seth shoots him too. So it goes into his, into his, kind of into his shoulder blade and that bull runs off 60 yards and falls over dead oh my god crazy so you know and that's that moment of truth when you're you know i'm looking down my arrow and everything in my mind is saying just shoot it you're gonna kill this thing yeah but i can guarantee you that if i had shot that bull with an uncontrolled shot i would have never put him on my wall 
<laughs> yeah. No, it, and it, it's almost like the easier the shot is, the more you, it's, it's more you're capable of screwing it up because it's like, oh, it's a chip shot, you know, and how many times have we heard that? You know, I've right. done it, you know, it's like, oh, it's a chip shot. And then you move out of your sequence of whatever that is. So let's, let's talk a little bit about like what you teach and kind of the shot sequence and what you, you've, what are the, what are the mistakes you see in, in a lot of the guys that come to you? So the biggest mistake, and it's not a mistake, it's just the path of nature, Yeah, is that people do not try to find determination, right? What, until, what do you mean by that? Until they've failed, right? People go to the bow shop, get a bow, and they leave that bow shop, hopefully with a tuned bow that's pretty easy to shoot, right? You draw back, you put your pin on it, you release the string. And they continue to do that, right? And they get they get decent at it, right? And it's you know they're three four months into their archery career and they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And then they go elk hunting. And one of the problems is is that they may get a bull in close and everything's working because they've done all their research and everything's good to go. And oh my gosh, there's this bull! And they've actually in that three or four months they've been shooting a bow, or maybe twenty years they've been shooting a bow. They have practiced their own failure each and every time they've shot an arrow. And by that, I mean they have practiced and they've just gone to the range and practiced their shooting. And if you practice your shooting, you're not getting more accurate. You're going to get quickly to your plateau. I mean, you're going to reach your plateau in six months if you just follow the path of nature. Yeah. So, but what happens is you become more and more efficient at punching the trigger <laughs> more and more efficient at just putting the pin on and punching the trigger, put the pin on, punch the trigger. Hey, look at me guys. I'm doing pretty good. Right. Yep. But then when it comes to a bull or a buck or whatever you're shooting at, whatever game animal you're shooting at, now you have adrenaline in your system, which makes you even more efficient. Right. So now the pin doesn't quite get on where you want it to before you punch the trigger, right? And maybe you'll hit that bull low. Maybe you come in from the bottom and you run your pins up the body. Maybe you bring them in from the top and you bring them down and all of a sudden you shot over the back of that bull and you don't know what happened. I mean, it was easy. It was 20 yards. But did you ever even get your 20-yard pin on the spot? Yeah. Right? So they're practicing efficiency. And the problem is that most people – don't use the determination that can be drawn from that situation. Like you miss a bull. Yep. We've all done it. I've missed so many bull elk when I was out of control. It was ridiculous. It took me 13 years to kill a bull elk with my bow. Wow. Cause I couldn't hold myself together. Right. So people don't take that as the learning opportunity that it is. And you know, they're going to be pissed off or whatever that they missed this easy shot on a bull they're not going to know what happened and they're going to go out and try to do it again. And the same thing's going to happen, but it's going to be worse and worse. And then they spend 13 years trying to figure it out and not understanding that if you just would have taken that frustration and that anger and said to yourself, I'm not doing it like that again, right? I'm not doing it like that again. I'm going to take this determination. I'm going to figure out what I need to do with it to get shot control. And so when they finally get to that turning point, I, I specifically remember when my turning point was, it was December 14th, 2014 was my turning point. Now I'd killed a bunch of stuff up to that point, 
but I didn't realize how I was doing it, right? And I didn't realize the determination needed to lead to decisions. Decisions in the shot are of utmost importance, and that is the biggest fail point of people when shooting at critters or in other high stress shooting situations. Oh, I would 100% agree. And it's funny because, you know, we people put so much time listening to podcasts and trying to figure out how to call elk, how to get close to elk, because that's the current problem, right? Like yep. you, you go hunting and you're like, man, I can't fucking find an elk or I can't get close to an elk. And she's so, like, I need to be a better caller. And then like, you don't realize that you may get, let's just say two. I think that's a realistic number, two to three opportunities per year. If you're lucky, if you're good, yeah. if you've got your skills, you know, your calling skills down and you know, you got a good system. I don't care what your system is, but you got a system and you get close to elk. And then it's like, when you fail at those two opportunities, you know, you don't get those for another year. And it's like, that's what takes a long time to get through is like, you know, they say, oh, it takes a lot of experience. You know, you have to have experience. Well, yes, but there, I think there are shortcuts to circumnavigate Oh, man. 13 years of, of huge, <laughs> you know, just, a, just a matter of as that bull's coming in and you get to the point and you've, you've felt this numerous times, right? You get to the point where, Oh my God, this is going to happen. <laughs> I know that feeling. Well, and that bull turns broadside and maybe you have gotten yourself to full draw. Maybe you're not at full draw yet. But there is something that happens that goes, I think this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, it's happening now. Yeah. And that is a critical moment. That's the first critical moment, right? Instead of going, oh, my God, this is happening and yanking your bow back and forgetting how far the bull was, forgetting what pin, forgetting to even look through your peep sight. <laughs> Forgetting the entire process, start it, start the shot, start every shot with process-based thinking, simply by making a decision to bring yourself into the present, right? So when that bull finally turns broadside, it's time to decide. And the decision that I have people make is what I call the original decision. I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. If people would just make that decision before they pull their bow back or before they put their finger on the trigger, it has profound effects on your success. I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. Because no matter what is a phrase that is used with determination. I've never heard that phrase said by an undetermined person. Yeah, that makes Think sense. Of, right? So I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. Then you draw your bow back, or maybe if you're already at full draw, if you haven't drawn your bow back, there's another critical moment in your shot to keep yourself in the present. Because if you're thinking about, oh my God, that's a six by six, I'm going to be a hero. You are thinking in the future, right? Yeah. And that nothing to do with the presence in your shot process. So the next decision that must be made is what we call the half draw moment. As you draw your bow back, say something to yourself. It doesn't have to be, I mean, it just needs to be something that has to do with the process. Like it's a trigger, right? Right. I'm going to do this right. You know, slow down, whatever you want to say, say something about the process as you draw your bow back. And that will keep you in the present of the shot process instead of letting you leap to the future. Okay. Yeah. So 
those are two very critical decisions, but they're not the most important. The most important decision that an archer, an elk hunter, hunter in general, rifle, whatever, could ever make is the one second after the aim is complete is the one second that you need to get yourself through instead of firing the shot within that one second. So we call it the critical second. And imagine the first time elk hunter and they bring their pins in from the top, right? Which is not what I recommend. We can talk about that later. But they bring their pins in from the top. And as soon as any pin gets on hair and their mind goes, it's on, boom, they punch the trigger, right? Yep. That happens to new hunters and old hunters all the time. So getting yourself through what we call the critical second is of utmost importance. And how do you do that? It's just another decision window. Okay. So have you ever jumped off a cliff into water? Yes. Okay. So when you got your little toesies hanging off the cliff, there is a decision that has to be made to consciously override your subconscious that doesn't want you to jump off the cliff. Okay. So usually when you're standing there at the edge of the cliff, you have to say something to yourself before you will do a movement that's going to cause your body impact. Very common verbiage for that is here I go, right? Yeah. Here I go carries people out of airplanes, off cliffs into water, all kinds of stuff, right? Sometimes it's holding my beer. Yeah, sometimes, (laughs) right? It is a conscious override. Yeah. And that's what you're doing in that critical second. So when you have your 20-yard pin on that 20-yard bull, it's not time to shoot. It's time to decide. So you draw back and aim, get it done, and watch it to keep it. That is job number one in any shot. And then you separate that job number one from job number two by the decision, the critical second. Here I go. Saying something like that, here I go. Let's do this. Whatever it is, gets you through that one second in time when your autopilot wants to take over. If people would just simply do that, success rates would skyrocket. Right. The second job of the shot is to put full concentration on the shot activation movement. How do you do that? You got to talk yourself through it. Right. So if it's pulling the trigger, right? If you're pulling using back tension or whatever release system you're using, you have to talk to the movement. That yeah. puts your conscious mind in the movement, but you'll never get there unless you decide to. So the original decision, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. The half draw moment, I'm going to do this right. Get your pin where you need it. Critical second. Here I go. And then you put all concentration on the shot activation movement. Those three words of here I go are of utmost importance. If you would just do that, like, you know, I was listening to Steve Rinella on a, on a uh, podcast that he was doing and he was talking about shot control and one of the first shots that he ever controlled. And I'm listening to this podcast, I'm very intently listening, because when you interview people, and as you do all the time, when you interview very successful shooters, be it in the sniper world, in the archery world, in the rifle hunting world, 
just successful shooters that are able to hold it together, they all say something to themselves during their shot. Every one of them to a person, it's always something different, but they all say something. And that thing that they say brings them into the present of the shot process, right? So I'm listening to Steve Ranella, and he's talking about this shot. And he specifically said that he said to himself during this shot, raise the elbow. I mean, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but he said no. he told himself, raise the elbow. What did that do for him? That brought him into the present of his shot process. And it was the first shot that he ever controlled. No, and it's 100% accurate. It's funny you were talking about how everyone has their own, you know, on my riser is written level steady squeeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first, my first thought was like, okay, shooter, not shooter. And then it's level, like I'll tell myself level steady squeeze, you know, like I, when I decide it's, it's a mental thing that when I decide I'm shooting a bull, I look down Mm -hmm. at my riser and like, that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a, just a break in the uh, adrenaline. It's like, okay, the level steady squeeze. And then when I'm at full draw, it's kind of like a reassurance. It's like, I like it. And you know, that's it. It's just, I like it. And it's a, it's a double check on my, Pete or on my sites, you know, yep. how many times you use the wrong pen. Like, yep. like you said, I know people have forgot to use their peep. Like it's, oh, yeah. and people Lots laugh of- at that. It, it happens. It happens a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I'm not really sure if I look through my peep or if I use my sites, not sure. And that's happened to me. I missed a bull way back in the day at like mm-hmm. 15 yards. And I'm like, I couldn't tell you if I use my peep or not. <laughs> like, right. it's just, right. and you know, so that's, like I said, successful people like yourself, they say something to themselves. You say like it, right? But you have these other words written on your riser. Mm-hmm. They're written on your riser and they mean something, right? Yep. They get your mind in the process of the shot and take it out of the future that your mind wants to. It wants to get you through this shot the most efficient way it can. And now it's got adrenaline to help it. So it wants to <laughs> yeah. just, it doesn't care peeps and pins and all that stuff. It just wants you to shoot an arrow. It doesn't even really want you to do that. That's why it braces you for the recoil of that bow going off. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're constantly having to fight your mind, but you'll find that is a common thread among successful shooters. And what did it used to be? <clears throat> when you think about what it used to be, new archery products used to have a sticker for you to stick on your limb. And what did it say? It said, pick a spot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> right? It said, pick a spot. And what did that do? That got people to concentrate on the aim Mm -hmm. which directly leads to target panic yep because if you're thinking about the aim and not about the shot activation movement you are going to punch the trigger no matter what people were not missing critters because they didn't pick a spot people were missing critters because they were punching triggers and probably never even got their sight even close to where they wanted (laughs) right for sure i mean i understand the the premise of why they did that, but <clears throat> scientifically, that's one of the worst things that could have been put on a bow. <laughs> In your opinion, like when you when you look at someone who I don't, I don't want to say doesn't have any experience in adrenaline because it's never the case, but like one of the things that like having experience going through these situations and let's for better or worse, like screwing up a lot of uh, shot opportunities teaches you is to control your adrenaline. How do you do that? If you've never been, or maybe have lack 
that much experience in controlling adrenaline. So what advice do you have for that scenario? Like just controlling adrenaline. And I understand that like your process is a part of that, but is there a way to train into adrenaline? So a couple things that you have to realize. Number one, you cannot control the amount of adrenaline that's released into your body. Not something that can be physically or mentally controlled. So you have to know at least the first experience you have with adrenaline, you really have to learn from what happens to me, Joel Turner, when I get a bunch of adrenaline in my body, what happens to me? Yep. I start, does, do my knees start shaking? Do my hands get more tension in them? What happens? Well, you know, physiologically you get higher heart rate, increases blood pressure. It all usually equates to more muscle tension, right? So I talk about this in tournament archery a lot because People try to control what's happening to their body instead of controlling what's happening to their mind. You cannot take, you cannot practice for it. You cannot take the same body with you to the elk woods that you have in your backyard. You physically cannot take that same body with you. So you have to do the other option and you have to take the same mind with you. And that's where people, if you just go out and practice shooting and you don't blueprint your controlled shot, you're only taking a body with you that, that you can't even, that you don't have control of anymore, right? You don't know how high your heart rate's going to go and all these things are going to happen to you. And now you haven't even taken the same mind with you. So you're a mental mess, you're a mental (laughs) and physical mess. So knowing that, just knowing that and coming to that realization that you can't take the same body with you, but you can take the same mind with you. And by that, I mean, you have to get shot control and you have to practice shot control every single shot. So you're using every shot for concentration practice. But then when you do find shot control and you've got it down, you have to know exactly how you did it so that you can blueprint it, right? The questions of the blueprint, when you shoot that perfect shot in your backyard, it was a total surprise break, you gotta know how you did it. So to blueprint it, four questions. Number one, what was I thinking? You gotta know exactly what your thought process was. And the answer to that should be, I was thinking about nothing other than my shot activation movement. When it came to that portion of the shot, I put everything I had into controlling the movement of the trigger. Okay. So that's question number one. Question number two, what was I saying? What words was I saying to get my concentration into that movement, to direct and trap my concentration into that movement? Was it keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling? Was it go? It has to be something that's said smoothly and in a rhythm. Okay. What you say is what you think. How you say it is the rate of movement. So you got to not only know what words you're saying, but at what rate you are saying them. Your mantra, basically, to get your mind in that movement, your shot activation movement. Question number three, could I have stopped it? Was I so keenly concentrated on the shot activation movement that I could have stopped it anywhere within it? If you can say yes to that, then you're truly in what's called a closed-loop control system, which is just nothing more than a movement that's slow enough you can gain feedback within it. 
slow enough you could stop it anywhere within it. Okay, that's question number three. Question number four, what decisions did I make to get myself in the process for this one shot? Did I step up to the line and go, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what? As I drew my bow back, did I say, I'm going to do this right? Once I got my pin on the spot, everything was good to go. Did I say, here I go? Yeah. And so you've really mapped this shot out. You know what you're thinking. You know what you need to say. You know you could stop it. And you know what decisions you need to make and when to make them in the shot. So now you take this blueprint, right? And you practice and you use every shot to make the blueprint stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where I no longer have to make the original decision. It's just a principle by which I live. I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. That's happening. I'm not shooting an uncontrolled shot, right? Yep. So then you've got this gem of a blueprint and you take that with you and that will significantly reduce the effects of adrenaline on your shot process. So that's the mental side of it. How do you physically control it? And that would be the combat breathing stuff, right? In through the nose for a four count, hold for a four count, out through the mouth for a four count, hold for a four count. So as that bull's coming in, you need to be of clear mind. To be of clear mind, you have to keep your heart rate down. To keep your heart rate down, that's the combat breathing. So as this bull's coming in, you come to the realization or you see those black legs coming, you're like, okay, start into your breathing process. And it will allow you to think. And it will allow you to see that gap in the trees. That's where I need to stop him. That is 33 yards. It will remind you to actually range that spot maybe before that bull gets there. Yeah. You'll just be so much more clear-minded and you know exactly how you're going to shoot the shot when it comes to that. But it takes the same decisions, right? No, it's it's really smart. I mean, it all these is all of this is so applicable even through life, like having, you know, a mantra, having a processy, all of these mm-hmm. things. Um so applicable. It's, it's kind of comical to see it through archery and through everything else. Right. Uh, one of the things that like, I know it doesn't happen every time, but it's happened more times than not. And I can almost tell you when it's going to happen. Like, uh, so right before a shot, like you and you were talking about how, what adrenaline does to everyone's body is different. Like I'll feel my right foot start to tap. Like it starts mm-hmm. to, you know, bob, bob, bob. And like, I, it's like, I can't even stop it. And like, it's almost <laughs> comical now. It's like, yeah, right. like I, I've meditated for a lot of years. It's like I can meditate through it and pretty much get my leg to stop bouncing. And, and it only happens if I decide that I'm shooting bull. I've called in hundreds of bulls and not going to shoot. Now that I'm not going to shoot, I will not get the foot bounce. But the moment I decide I'm going to shoot a bull, my foot starts like, you know, doing that bounce. And it's only if I have like to wait for a shot or, you know, it's not a, a split decision, you know, generally speaking, uh, there's been plenty of elk that were just like shot split decisions. And it happened from like deciding that that was a shooter bull to pulling the trigger was probably sub one minute. And, yeah. and then it doesn't happen. But if I have to like sit there, wait for a shot or like look and start looking for the, where the shot's going to be and all that, like my right foot starts bouncing. <laughs> it's like almost comical at this point. I'm like, God, really? Like, yeah. and it's like, I'm completely calm. I don't have the like, buck fever whatever just like my right foot starts bouncing i'm like every time and you know that that's experience talking right there right like you know exactly what happens to your body 
So it's almost like you get a little smirk on your face when it yeah. happens, right? Oh, yeah, it's no, for sure. It's no longer this big negative thing. You're like, well, there it is. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and, you know, in talking about the, all the decisions and all the stuff <clears throat> that is involved with this precision shot, people are going like, Hook, how would you possibly kill anything? It takes forever to do all that stuff. Well, that's what you're practicing now. You're practicing the organization of your words. You're practicing the organization of your decisions so that you can get more and more efficient, not at shooting. You're getting more efficient at making decisions. You're getting more efficient at controlling your mind because that's what you're using that bow for now. You're not just using it to shoot arrows. You're using it for concentration practice. So that when that shot happens, it's fairly quick. You go right through your decisions and you still shoot a controlled shot. I mean, it doesn't take that long when you get when you get good at making decisions, they happen. Just pop, 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 and you still shoot the same shot that you would if you took forever. Yeah. I'm curious, so, Joel, do you when you practice, do you there's guys that are pro shooting groups and guys that are anti-shooting groups like as in shooting this uh your quiver at the same spot right are you for that or against it i don't care how many arrows you shoot i you know i think you should shoot a single arrow and i i think you should shoot a dozen arrows Mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you are doing nothing other than concentration practice so you know you shoot three perfectly controlled shots in one end and you got to control it for a fourth. You got to control it for a fifth. It doesn't matter how many you shoot. You're shooting one perfectly controlled shot at a time. Yeah. So it, it it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you need to buckle down on something, then maybe one arrow is good. But you also have to be able to do it more than once in a row. Yeah. You have to be able to do it every time, no matter what, in front of people, on bull elk. You know, whoever it is. That you know, that's like the first thing in my clinic. You're going to shoot in front of people, no no matter what. You're going to shoot in front of everybody, so you're bringing what you got, and I'm going to be messing with you because I'm going to try to distract you until you're determined. And what I'm doing with that ridicule and all the stuff that I do, like pouring a bucket of water over Josh Bomar's head, whatever, <laughs> I'm trying to distract you to the point where you finally say, F you, Turner, Right? F you, Turner, because that's a determined statement, right? F you, Turner, I'm going to do it this way. You can't get in here. And so it's easy to destroy people their first shot in the clinic. But by the end of it, anything that I do to them makes their determination stronger. Yeah, it makes them focus harder. You've got to use that bull elk to make your determination stronger. You know, I talk about the fundamentals of precision shooting. Number one is determination. Not something I can teach you, only something I can help you find. Determination leads to decisions. Your decisions leads to presence, and your presence leads to concentration. Oh, man. Be able to put that package together. Oh, man, I 100% agree. Um, I want to give you a chance to kind of talk a little bit about the clinic and whatnot, but kind of one follow-up question I had for you. If you could go back to, you know, the 13 years of striking out in those early years, what advice would you give yourself? Well, I would would use the frustration because I never shot a controlled shot on a critter until I, I had to let down on a shot. 
I drew back on this <clears throat> hog in Texas in 2008, and this was after the 13 years had gone by. And on that one hog, I finally I got to full draw, but I was locked off target again, all kinds of stupidness, anxiety going on. And I said to myself, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. And I let the shot down. And then before that, before I drew my bow back again, because the hog didn't see me let down, I said, I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly or I'm not shooting it at all. And that was the first time I ever made a decision in a shot. And interesting since that time. Right. And, you know, but between 2008 and 2014, I killed a ton of critters, but I still didn't know the roadmap. I didn't know the blueprint. I didn't know the decisions on that one hog in 2008. I didn't realize how I had done it. I didn't realize all the decisions I made. I remember specifically in that shot saying, here I go. And then fast forward a couple of years to 2010, New Mexico. I shot a bull with my longbow. It was my first bull with a longbow down there, 41 yards. And <clears throat> I made all the same decisions in that one as well. I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly or I'm not shooting it at all. As I drew my bow back, I'm going to do this right. Once I got my aim where I needed to be, I said, here I go. And I shot a perfect arrow at 41 yards of my longbow. I can see it to this day. Oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I didn't realize how I had done it until December 14, 2014, when I shot a big blacktail buck and I didn't get through my, my shot process on that buck either. And I sat in that tree stand. And I said, I got to figure this out. What was it about that shot in 2008 and that one in 2010 that was so different than all these other ones that I'd killed critters? Yes, but I wasn't controlling my shot. And that's when I realized it was the decisions that I was making and when I was making them in my shot and what they were doing for me. Yeah. So those 13 years were just trying to do good, right? Trying to kill a bull. For God's sakes, I was a two-time world elk calling champion. I could call these things in like a chicken on a string, but I couldn't hit them because I just <laughs> myself in check. So, you know, what advice would I give to myself would be to buckle down, man. Yeah. Buckle down, get determined, make decisions, and then and only then can you step onto the path of shot control. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Like, you know, similarly, similarly, I would say, like, have a process and stick to it. And I think that's true for out calling. I think it's true for, you know, shooting, like there's room to expand upon those things. And, and you're ever, you're going to keep growing as you, as you grow as a hunter, uh, as an archer, both in both, you know, whether you're a long range rifle shooter, like your process grows, but having a process sticking to a principle, wildly important. Uh, tell us a little bit about your course. Uh, I know things are crazy right now. Are you still doing them? Like, can people access, yeah. what's the best way to get more of this information from you? Well, the beautiful thing was, you know, even though the whole COVID-19 thing happened, I had, I, I made an online course. So the online course has been out since 2016 and it just keeps growing and growing as I, as I discover more science and I discover ways to, to deliver the message to folks, the online course available on shotiq.com. And it's, it's very comprehensive and it teaches you the entire science of what happens in your mind in a precision shot. And, you know, we go through, there's a whole compound with release track. There's all kind of modules about specific releases, how to run them, how to go closed loop with those releases. There's also another traditional track 
It talks about mechanoreceptive triggers and how to run them and how to shoot without a trigger if you want or whatever. I mean, it is the full meal deal. It's the same thing as what you would see in a clinic. The only thing is in a clinic is that I'm right there with you and I'm able to basically get your determination up. In the online course, you are left to your own devices to get your determination up. You have to dump the bucket of water on your own head. <laughs> right. You got to dump <laughs> your, own bucket, your own bucket of water on your head, right? Uh, but in a, in a live clinic, it's really cool because I'm right there with you. It's all the same information, but I'm right there with you. So it's pretty cool. I do them around the country. So, you know, once this whole craziness gets over, I'll be back on, back on schedule. And I don't really have a schedule. It's just people will call me up and say, hey, we'd like you to come out and do a clinic. And I usually have, you know, I like to get at least 20 students in a clinic for me to travel somewhere. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's very powerful information. I mean, imagine being able to go on a hunt and know exactly how you're going to shoot your shot. There's no more wonder. Once, once you get through the clinic, there's no more wonder like, Oh gee, I wonder if I'm going to do good. You know exactly <laughs> how you're going to shoot the shot. You know what decisions you're going to make, you know, when you're going to make them and you know, scientifically how to carry them out. It is the most powerful information that that I could ever think of, and that's I needed to find this, and that's you know I my other whole other world is being a police sniper. I don't have the option of missing, right? So yeah. there can be no wonder in that shot. Gee, I wonder if I'm gonna do good. That's you know lives are at stake with that. So that can't be an option, and unfortunately, that is an option for a lot of a lot of law enforcement. They don't know how they're going to perform in a precision environment. Yeah. It, they hopefully know how they're going to perform in a CQB environment. But when it comes to precision, most of them are just hoping to do good. And that's where you see, you know, 40 rounds fired and nobody gets hit. So <laughs> it's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. uh, so where's the best place to head over there? Where can guys go and check out the course, the it's online version? It's all on shotiq.com. And, you know, you can hit me up on Instagram, Joel Turner underscore shot IQ facebook i'm on all that stuff so find me check the website out and you know if you need to email me and i'll get back with you with my phone number if you need a call or whatever and i just i'm on like a life quest to get people in control of their shot because i don't want them to have to go where i was you know i mean i grew up i started shooting a bow at seven years old i didn't gain complete control of my shot until you know probably I don't know, seven or eight years ago, but it's, it's an amazing feeling to be able to know how you're going to shoot it. And, you know, people have plateaued in their shooting only because they're still punching the trigger and you're only going to get as good as your pre-ignition movements allow. But once you eliminate those, I mean, you're, the sky's the limit. Man, I just think it's so crazy. Like you go, you do so much work, you get in shape, you get whatever, you do all this stuff to, to kill an elk yep. and the most important part, the killing yep. part, like that's really kind of a big deal with this whole yep. game. Like, yeah, you need to be like, you need to have a system for that. Uh, so yeah, go check out Joel's course. Joel's freaking wizard when it comes to, uh, shot everything sequence um yeah i've seen him turn some i've seen him turn good shooters into great shooters for sure and like yeah yeah i i know a ton of people that speak so highly of joel's course so uh check it out uh yeah it'll if anything else like it's gonna make you help you capitalize on the very few opportunities you get which is you know the difference between filling the freezer and not 
Yep. It's, I mean, we're, you're only allotted so much time in this life. There's no reason to be wasting it Yeah. with controlled shooting, man. <laughs> I wish I had those 13 years back, bro. <laughs> you know how many times, man, I've thought about the bull. Like I have, I have dwelled over some of the bulls I've missed in my life. Uh, the, just even the shots I've missed. Like I have sat there at night and been like, man, if I could have that one back, like, oh, yep. like that's that alone right there is worth it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. All righty, Joel. Well, thank you so much for jumping on, man. Uh, and uh, good luck this year. Hopefully uh, things clear up. You can start doing some clinics and changing people's lives. Yeah, thanks, buddy. All righty, man. Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. Check it out. Link in the show notes.